Hey, everybody. Welcome to DM Splaining, the bonus episodes for the Gimme Dilute podcast, the Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition actual play podcast that finally is getting around to teaching Harland how to play his character. This episode, DM Splaining, what the hell should Harland be doing, specifically the rogue class? I'm joined with a couple of the cast members. Hey, this is Harlan, the person apparently who doesn't know how to play his class. This is Jazz, the guy who enjoys making fun of Harlan not knowing how to play his class. <laughs> and this is Anthony, who just plays D&D. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, look, first of all, before it seems like we're talking too much shit about you, Harlan, you're the one who constantly says, I don't know how to play my class. I don't know what I'm doing. That's true. We agree with you because you're right. But... <laughs> But we, we're not the ones saying it. And, and honestly, that was one of the reasons, like the, the secret origin of the Party of Five is back when we were raiding together in Destiny, it was it was like, okay, this is like a perfect group dynamic for a D&D party podcast. And when the opportunity came up, that's why I, I kind of threw it out to you guys. And, and of course, the, the fifth member, Andrew, who plays Moyle, was not part of that original raid group because Mike moved to Germany <laughs> to get away from America, which yep. very well timed. Shout out to Mike, by the way. <laughs> uh, he, he should be listening, hopefully soon. I recently talked to him. So if he hears this, what's up, man? What's going on? It, when, you, when you move to Germany to get away from a fascist government, <laughs> you know you might <laughs> be in trouble. <laughs> What we'll do here real quick is we will run through a general description of the rogue class, uh, hit on the basic abilities that Harland currently has in front of him as Todd the Tiefling, touch on his subclass, and then Harland give you the opportunities to talk and kind of ask questions where you go. So please speak up. So Todd the Tiefling is a Tiefling rogue who is currently at fourth level. The rogue class is a combination DPS utility class. I, I get really fifth edition, I think, democratized a little bit some of those skills to avoid you getting into a situation where it, well, if you didn't have a rogue on your party, you were fucked if you went into a dungeon, which, you know, is one of the, is one of the cool things about 5e, but also does change up the dynamics on how some of the classes works. And, and some of the classes, I, you know, particularly Rangers, I think get a little flack for some of their abilities being absorbed into other classes. But what we're here to talk about today is the rogue. It is a class with a D8 hit die, which is not what you roll to hit as Andrew posited in an intro, <laughs> but is, is actually the basis for your hit points. They wear light armor. Light armor consists of padded leather and studded leather. They, uh, they are per automatically proficient in simple weapons, hand crossbows, long swords, rapiers, and short swords, and automatically proficient in thieves tools which is arguably the most useful tool proficiency in all of 5e. They're proficient in dexterity and intelligence saving throws and have a broad array of skills that, that they can pick from at the beginning. Acrobatics, athletics, deception, insight, intimidation, investigation, perception, performance, persuasion, sleight of hand, and stealth to be proficient in. That's also the largest list of skills out of any of the class. Yeah, they, they definitely are a very skill-oriented class, and we see that uh, as we kind of get into the abilities with expertise. At first level, you pick two of your skill proficiencies or one of your skill proficiencies in your proficiency with Thieves tools, and you get double your proficiency bonus for that. So automatically, you you either are extra good at using your Thieves school, tools or extra, extra good uh, for lack of a better term, <laughs> at using your two skills more so than any other first-level character out there. Harlan, off the top of your head, do you know what 
skills Todd has his expertise in? That's exactly what I was going to ask. We know it's not athletics. <laughs> it actually, I think it is. Holy shit. You've got to be kidding me. All right, hold on. I'm, go- I'm going, you're going to send me to roll 20 with that one. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm actually tr- never mind because huh? if I tell you I forgot my password in row twenty. Oh my fucking god! Hold on. <laughs> if I told you that, if I told you that, though, that'd be a lot. Are you currently <laughs> logged into row twenty? What are you, are you? Are you currently logged into row twenty? Of course no. not. Okay. Can you can you log in real quick? You might need to see your character. For I'm, this. Be, I'm gonna tell you. We should pause this though. I've been trying for the last fifteen minutes. <laughs> I think you didn't pause it though. I think that was on the record. <laughs> Not only is that on the record, I am now obligated to do the Harland. I can't get into Roll Twenty Supercut. <laughs> that I literally threatened to do in the episode I am editing right now for the release on Monday. I shit you not. I have not forgotten this password in like forever. The last couple of times has been easy. Now this time, I don't know what's going on. It was deception and stealth. That's where it is. Is it? Can we see those character sheets? Yeah, Yeah, he made made it to where we can see each other's character sheets a little while back. Yeah, because when we put the the group together too, it was an additional bonus that Andrew, Jamie had very little D&D experience and, and Harlan has 0.0 D&D experience, but Anthony and Jazz actually know what they're doing. And in fact, I lean on uh, their their information and their knowledge as I am relatively new back to 5e and I'm still kind of getting uh, some of my 5e legs underneath me, whereas you guys have a little bit more. Harlan, what that means is you are extra good at, what was it, deception? Yeah, deception and stealth. Which the abilities you use the most are intimidation and acrobatics, right? <laughs> I don't. Yes. I hold on. Todd's expertise in stealth for how never touched it. Never touched it. Hostile, hostile you are about using stealth is just shift kiss. Uh, excellent. So uh, that brings us to our next ability: sneak attack. Beginning at first level, you know how to strike subtly and exploit a foe's distraction. Once per turn, you can deal an extra 1d6 damage at first level, but it goes up from there, to one creature you hit with an attack if you have advantage on the attack roll. The attack must use a finesse or a ranged weapon. You don't need advantage on the attack roll if another enemy of the target is within five feet of it. That enemy isn't incapacitated and you don't have disadvantage on the attack roll. The amount of extra damage increases as you gain levels in this class as shown in the sneak attack column of the rogues table. So, yes, the dumbest, most elaborate way to say something so simple, apparently, because I can never get it every time I read it. You know, it started off as the backstab. Right. So the, the backstab is kind of the root of the ability where you had to be hidden or you had you definitely had to be a, a behind your opponent and you got a flat out or damage multiplier. I think it was up to times five in previous editions. And I think in 3.5 is where they gave rogues the ability to perform that attack if they were just flanking an enemy. 5e dropped that flanking rule as a way to kind of simplify things, but in doing so, created a snarl of language around sneak attack, which really isn't technically a sneak attack that I, I think does cause a lot of confusion and even confused the shit out of me when I started playing, because I played a rogue at, on the previous podcast I was on and it took me a while to wrap my head around it as well. So what it- I think where they were trying to go with the whole sneak attack language is that the opponent is, his concentration is split. 
Mm-hmm. So the rogue is able to, in a sneaky fashion, exploit that concentration split. Yeah. Whether it's concentration split because he doesn't exactly know where you are, that concentration split because he's fighting more than one person. Like you're able to exploit the fact that he can't focus on just you. Yeah. The, 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 the key phrase, I think, is exploit a foe's distraction. Correct. So, yeah, the, what what it doesn't do a great job from there, though, is explaining. I mean, to me, it should start with, hey, if you have an ally or even not necessarily an ally, but someone else is engaged with that enemy within five feet, then you can do your sneak attack bonus. And oh, by the way, if you have advantage, you can. It just seems weird that they start with the advantage and then kind of back into I, I just it's, it's, the way they have it arranged is what it what it what threw me through the loop. So it's just weird. It says like you don't need advantage on attack roll if another enemy of the target. So you just have to be around you. He doesn't have to be engaged fighting you. You just have to be five feet around him. Yeah. So I might be over overthinking this, but I spent a little time trying to figure out how the hell we could finally explain sneak attack properly to Harlan today. And for some reason, mm-hmm. my mind landed on the fact that, you know, you guys in your profession trying to figure out a way to explain sneak attack as a set of if then phrases. Does that okay. not make sense or does that make sense to the other two of you before I started in trying to explain it that way to Harlan? I mean, that, that is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is what it is because it's you perform sneak attack if certain things are in place. It's not that you have to actually say I'm going to do a sneak attack like it's a separate action. It's a passive ability that triggers if a certain situation is in place and they give you like three or four different ifs and then the then is sneak attack. So if you're fighting somebody that's within five feet of your ally, you deal sneak attack damage. So as a programmer, if you start writing code with a bunch of if checks in it, you've done a bad job. You started not throwing it out there. Hey, okay, you can't do a switch statement on sneak attack. <laughs> it's really just a bunch of if checks, nested if checks, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that's what I'm saying. That's what makes it kind of confusing. It's 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 like if this. Then check the next if. Oh, is, did that happen? Okay, well, then make sure to check the next if. And if all those if checks finally pass, then you get to do a sneak attack. I don't understand how it's not so, confusing everyone else, too. That's why every time I look at it, I'm like, wait, y'all got it? I, didn't, I still didn't even got it. The, the, the difference is, is that it's not if you clear all of these. It's each individual one is an if that will trigger sneak attack. They don't actually rely on each other. No, that's not true. I think, I think too, what is, what is confusing about the way that they phrase it is if another enemy of the target. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Like, wait, hold on. Wait, that, that's just a, a very inelegant way of saying, and I think, I think if you, let's, let's take it back to the basics. Like, if you sneak up on, behind somebody, like you succeed a stealth roll and you sneak up behind somebody and you're attacking them from stealth, then you're going to have advantage on that attack roll. True. Which means on that advantage of that attack roll, you can perform a sneak attack, right? hmm Also, if you're, targeting an enemy and that enemy is engaged with another opponent that was that's within melee strike like that five feet is melee basically so like if you and baba are are fighting a dude and that that dude has to divide his attention between you and baba that part is mentioned it doesn't say that the person has to be engaged it just if another enemy of the target is within five feet that's what five feet is that's what enemy of the target implies as well so like if (laughs) if somebody's just standing five feet away from you you wouldn't go hey man uh yeah that's me over here by this uh this dude that's my enemy you know what else think you know what else I think helps this? Minis. Yeah. I think that helps. 
Yeah. Like it's easier to see with minis. Like if you have two minis and they're next to each other, you can, and, and they're enemies, you can sneak attack. Like that's, that's literally how that plays out on the board. Yeah. If there are two miniatures next to each other, you can sneak attack one. And I don't, wait, and I can't have a disadvantage on the attack roll. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what? The, so so in real world context, right? You're you're in a bar fight, right? And you're fighting two dudes. You've got to split your attention between those two dudes. You, you got your head on a swivel. If that one of those guys can wait till you look around to the other dude and and jump in for a kidney punch, all right? Now. Let's say you're fighting those same two dudes and the guy on the right slips in a pile of puke and now he's on the ground. So now he's got disadvantage on his attack. It's a lot easier for you now to keep your eye on both of them because that one dude's on the ground. Kind of the same situation, right? If if Todd and Baba are fighting a hobgoblin and Todd, for some reason, I know it's never happened before, <laughs> fell on his ass. <laughs> it's a lot harder for Todd to get up and like to sneak in a, a strategic attack against that hobgoblin while his defenses are diverted towards towards facing Baba. So the like the the easy way to think of it is, hey, am I sneaking up on somebody? Then yes, absolutely sneak attack. Do I have advantage on the attack for some other reason? Like I'm invisible or the dude doesn't suspect like, you know, those paladins, you could have gotten a sneak attack on those guys because they just didn't even think of you as a threat because how quickly you sold out Moyle at the drop of a hat. <laughs> that would have given you an advantage because their guard was down. But the other time that it really comes into play is if that your target is engaged with another opponent, all right, whether it's one of your allies or any other opponent, all right? So now let's say it's a complete free-for-all in the bar, and it's not the dude you're fighting isn't just fighting you. He's also fighting whatever rando is up, just bumped into him and broke a beer bottle. He's still got to split his attention between the two of you, whether you and the beer bottle guy are on the same side. So they, again, that you're waiting for that opportunity to see a, a gap in his guard to lunge in and, and stab him when he wouldn't normally have his full defenses up. Okay. So now this will get more complicated in a moment when we talk about your subclass, which promptly removes some of those requirements. But the, the, the two big things to remember are, do you have advantage? If you got advantage, you get sneak attack. Is your opponent engaged with another opponent? If the answer to that is yes, and you're not on your ass, you can pretty much sneak attack. Because you'll know, dude, you'll know if you've got disadvantage on the attack. That's not something that just sneaks yeah. up on you. You know what I mean? Like that's something you know, no pun intended. That's something you'll know. Thieves can't. Another ability of the rogue start off with is during your rogue training, you learned thieves can't. A secret mix of dialect, jargon, and code that allow you to hide messages in seemingly normal conversation. And I always think of this as like hobo sign language. Like like if, you, uh, if you've read any of John Hodgman's stuff where he talks about the weird ho like hobo signs, that's where immediately my brain always goes to John Hodgman when I think these can't. In addition, you understand a set of secret signs and symbols used to convey short, simple messages such as whether or not an area is dangerous. Uh, so this is basically a way for you to throw signs at another rogue to, one, see if they can grok it, which helps clue you in that they're another rogue, but also for you to communicate rogue to rogue without necessarily cluing in the, the 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 people that are around you. Todd, the innkeeper, tried to throw some thieves can't at you when you guys first came in to see if you were cool and you didn't pick up on it originally. And I think you I think you have since then. It really, you know, it's extremely useful in rogue heavy campaigns. Like I've I've 
run a multi-year campaign with nothing but rogues, both playing and then actually taking over the, the DMing of it. And and thieves can't actually play a role in that setting. In non in non multi-rogue instances, it's a lot trickier to to get any use out of. I think in probably in a in a Forgotten Realms setting where you can probably find a rogue guild in any major town. Yeah. You you could probably use it a lot more in in non homebrew settings. Well, and I think I think too like one of the things that kind of came out of the episode before last is the you know look we're going to schedule a downtime episode now between each arc where I'll t- because you know you guys the the last episode before you headed off to the fields of madness spoiler alert I guess you guys had a bunch of stuff that you wanted to kind of do in town from a shopping standpoint from an equipment standpoint and I absolutely want you guys to have that that time but I also want to kind of prep for a little bit prep for it a little bit more so we can get some more kind of world interaction with it and it's not just i go to the shop and todd insults the shopkeeper because i mean that's a given but art of the deal uh so so what'll end up happening is i'll give you guys a heads up like hey we're getting close to the end of the arc We've got a downtime episode coming up. Give me a heads up of the three or four things that you guys might want to do at downtime so I can kind of prep for that kind of going into it. Counting action starting at second level, which Todd is fourth can use your quick thinking and agility to allow you to move and act more quickly. You can take a bonus action on each one of your turns in combat. This action can be used only to take the dash, disengage, or hide action. Now that's that's one you use pretty well, Generally, I think. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that I don't understand hide okay. and disengage. Because okay. um, I thought hide made me like not take hits like I was hiding behind something, but then promptly an enemy went after and attacked me while I was, okay. trying, while I was hiding. So it, when you do, when you use the hide action, and then again, it is limited by certain environments. Like if you're in a 10 by 10 room with no furniture or anything in it saying, I want to use the hide action, is like, okay, dude, you're, you know, I'll give you a disadvantage. And because it's a podcast, if you roll like super high on it, we'll figure something, a comical way that Todd is just standing behind his <laughs> opponent and they can't find him. But you are a little, a little bit limited by the, the setting that you're in, in that, in that respect. But, you know, you basically do a stealth roll and then they do a perception check to find you. Um, and if they pass that perception check, they can they can still find you. So that's right. it, it, it sets up that contest. Yeah, just because you try to hide doesn't mean you succeed. And so, okay. So, but hiding does actually make me, uh, they can't see me, right? They, they can't. Yeah. Okay. If you do it successfully, yeah. If I do Correct. it successfully. Okay, yeah. I'm successfully hit. And that doesn't mean you also can't be, you're not invisible. So right. if like, say you go, you know, hide behind the bed and even though I may not, even though I may, we may fail the check, I saw you go behind the bed. I can walk over there and then see you. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. It's not necessarily, um, you're not invisible, right? It does make you less likely to be targeted. Correct. But again, it, it is very scenario specific. So in most of the combats, if Baba's up in the mix, and then you disengage for your primary action and then use hide as your bonus action, the odds of you getting targeted the next round are very, very, very small. Unless it's a group of enemies and there's an archer in the back and they see you scamper off into the bushes and want to try and beat, take, get a beat on you, they may do a perception check. And if that perception check beats your stealth, then bam, you're going to get shot at. But is the guy with the axe going to swing at you? No, it's, it's much much less likely that he's going to go after. for after Unless you pissed him off, which is highly likely. 
Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what happened. I think the last time I tried to use hide or thought I was hiding. Um, disengage. What would I disengage just means I leave combat. Now, so when you are engaged with somebody, when you're in melee range with somebody, right? Mm-hmm. If you decide to walk away, they get what they get the option to use their reaction to make an attack of opportunity. Basically, they get to take a free shot at you as you walk away. Disengage prevents that option, prevents them from using their reaction to get the free attack. Okay. It's a way of, instead of like, let's say again, you're in a fist fight with a guy, instead of just turning your back to him and trying to run away and getting punched in the back of the head, you're kind of backing away slowly and kind of, you know, bobbing and weaving as you back away, which makes it much less likely that he can get in that extra shot. Now, it is an action, which means that you do have to think about, okay, I've got my movement, which is 30 feet, and then I can uh, I can disengage, move my 30 feet, and then use my bonus action to hide. Is absolutely something Todd can do. Now, he can't attack in that during that round because he's used his action, move, and bonus action to get away and, and get hidden. Does that make okay. sense? Wait, so you, you have a move, so I can move towards a target, right? Correct. Then I can attack as an action. Mm-hmm. Correct. And then I can disengage using my secondary action. Your bonus action. My yeah. bonus action. Right. But if you don't have any movement left at that point. I'm just still standing right where I'm yeah. at. Yeah, exactly. Which is completely pointless. So, okay. So within, I would, let's say, why would I not just dash out of the way instead of disengaging? Because then they would get the attack of opportunity on you. Okay. So disengage is a safe way of backing up. Whereas dashes, my back is to them. They can attack me. Dash is running. Yeah. Yes. Dash doubles your movement. Yeah. Your speed is your walking speed. It's, it's it's how fast you just normally move when you're moving. But dash is you running. So dash is an action. Correct. So I can't do, I can't do dash towards somebody and then attack because I've already used my action to dash. You can't because you could use your bonus action to dash. Yes. And then use your action to attack. So every round of combat, you have your movement, mm-hmm. right? Which is your, your base speed and an action. That's everybody gets that no matter what level one. And, and then there's, there's a couple of free actions like, Hey, I can shout at somebody, you know, there's some, there's some, uh, some minor stuff in there, but the big thing to remember is move and action. Then you get access to bonus actions and reactions depending upon your character class and levels from there. There is no order in which any of that stuff has to be used. It's just options that you've got. That's what I was going to get. That's what I was going to ask because bonus action made me think that it happens after. None of it's linear, right? So let's say you move 20 feet in, right? That's half of your movement because Todd has a 40 foot movement because of the pentahedron. You move 20 feet in, attack a guy with your action. Now you're using the attack action and then disengage with your bonus action. You can now move 20 feet back. You could, in that case, without even dashing anything, step in 20 feet, stab a guy, move back 20 feet. Now the catch is 30 feet is pretty standard movement for most stuff. I mean, some of the smaller, like dwar- like halflings and, and gnomes and stuff only have like a 25 base movement. But generally to get out of range of somebody being able to advance and attack you on melee, you want to go a little bit further than 30. Animals and stuff, it kind of goes up from there. So the 
other thing I feel like he should remember is that because of the way your character is set up, that you're fighting with two swords, you're you're also using your bonus action a lot of the times to attack with your second sword. Correct. Todd is a two-handed fighter. He does carry two short swords, and 5e, again, makes it very easy to be a, a two-handed fighter, which was another kind of feather taking out taken out of the ranger's cap. But it's one of those things where you, on your turn, if you want to use your bonus action to attack with your second short sword, you can, but that means you can't then use your bonus action to disengage or any other action. Is that a different, That that's not part of cunning action, right? That's literally, that's part of fancy footwork, right? No, yeah, well, no, that's something different. We'll get, into, we'll get into your subclass stuff in a second. That's something that everybody can do. So you can, okay, so because you have two weapons, you can use two weapons. Yes, correct. Yeah. So, so, so again, bonus actions are granted to you by several conditions, right? So if it doesn't matter who I am, if I carry two weapons, I've automatically granted myself a bonus action by being able to attack with that offhand weapon. But the only thing I can do with that bonus action in that particular case is stab. I that, that bonus action exists with one very singular choice, stab with this other dagger. What cunning action does is let you use that bonus action for the movement-based abilities that a lot of other classes don't have the ability to do as a bonus. So it's not a addition to my bonus action. Right, right. You don't have, you can't have more than one bonus action. Uh, okay, so, okay. So it's not an addition. It's literally just giving me more right. options Correct. with my bonus action. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the thing you also need to remember is that everyone has the same action economy. So let's say I'm in a fight with two guys and I decide to back out without disengaging and they take their opportunity attacks on me. They have now used their reactions, mm-hmm. so they cannot take their opportunity attacks on you. Does that make sense? Okay. So they've already used that part of their economy. And so it, it, I think that's one of the like things that when you get into some of the like bigger fights and especially fights with a lot of people, remembering that can save you actions and save your life. <laughs> what you're saying is if you're into a fight, you attack, back away, but don't disengage. They use their um, reprisal action or I don't know. What reaction. That, reaction. They use their reaction to attack you. They can only use it that one time. So then yeah, right. they cannot do a reaction against anyone else. Correct. Not that, ra- that, that round. Not yeah. that turn. Yeah. yeah right. Next round, they would be able to. Yeah. Right. So in combat, right, you get your action and your movement. Mm-hmm. You can use your action to attack, right? Your just standard attack, cast a spell if you're Fate or Andrew, dash, which doubles your movement, disengage, which we've talked about, dodge, which we haven't talked about a whole lot. If you take the dodge action, you focus entirely on defense, which means the next attack, attack against you is made at disadvantage. You currently can't use that as a bonus action. You can use the help action, which means you lend your aid to another character in completion of the task. When you take the help action, the creature you aid gives advantage on their next ability check it makes to perform the task you are helping with, provided it makes the check before the start of your next turn. Alternatively, you can aid a friendly creature that's attack, like is also engaged at five feet melee engagement. Mm-hmm. You, uh, where you kind of dodge around, and you try and distract that other creature, which would give your ally advantage on their attack roll. So let's say you and Baba advance on somebody and you're going before Baba 
but you don't want to hit the guy first because you want Baba to hit him first because then that Baba's barbarian abilities kick in and that would give him disadvantage to attack you. You would go, hey man, for this round, I'm just going to use my help, my action to help Baba on his first attack for the next round. So instead of maybe rushing and attacking sometimes, if you're advancing with Baba, you use the help action to give him advantage on his attack and then he hits and it kicks in his barbarian ability where now they have disadvantage on attacking anybody else, which gives you a little bit more security in the future rounds going forward. But in that particular case, again, you're sacrificing your attack to do that. That's a good example, but never do that. I can give myself advantage. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask that, doesn't your rage give you advantage? Or? No, I have to do what they call reckless swing. It gives me advantage, but it also gives everybody else advantage on me. You can hide which we've talked about, you can ready an action. So like, and you've heard, I think Anthony and uh, Jazz do this a couple of times where you may want to get the jump on somebody. So you, what you do is you describe a perceivable circumstance that trigger triggers your action. Like, hey, if this cultist steps on the trap door, I'm going to pull the lever that opens it. That's literally an if then. <laughs> yeah. You describe an if then. So if, if somebody steps through that door, I'm going to fire my crossbow. So you're holding your action back to meet a specific if then circumstance that may or may not happen. You can use the search action, which is kind of self-explanatory, or you can use the use an object action, which like if you've got a potion or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. And that gets a little bit deeper into some of the stuff that you can do with your combat turn. So roguish archetype, Todd went swashbuckler. We'll hit on that in just a second. What did you do with your, for your ability score improvement at fourth level? He, he upped his decks. Okay, cool. And that brings us to where you're at currently as a rogue. As you continue to level up at fifth level, you get uncanny dodge, which allows you to use your reaction to have an attack's damage against you. So next level, if somebody hits you for 20 damage and you've got your reaction available, you can use your reaction to go, nope, I'm only going to take 10 on that this round. You can use the matrix-like maneuvers you've been wanting to get. (laughs) Okay. And then at seventh level, you get really matrixy ass maneuvers because at seventh level, you can nimbly dodge out of the way of certain area of effects like a red dragon's breath or uh, like a fireball. When you are subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw to take half damage, you only take uh, half damage if you fail on the saving throw. And if you succeed on the saving throw, you take zero damage, which is pretty badass. I'm going to let you guys know. I'm going to let you guys know. So I've been struggling. I'm at level four. Mm-hmm. As I get what well, I'm just starting to learn, if it wasn't for this, I probably still wouldn't know how to use a sneak attack. So as I get hired, there'll be many times where I don't use any of my stuff correctly. Many, many times. I will tell you, dude, that sneak attack's the most complicated thing that you've got. So next level, you get a reaction to cut damage in half, right? Which is very similar to your Hellish Rebuke. Hellish Rebuke is a reaction. Yeah, I missed that one time and I I haven't had a second chance to use it since then. (laughs) You know how to use Hellish Rebuke. You know how to use Evasion Uh, or Uncanny Dodge. I'm sorry. Evasion is something that you don't use. It's just a condition of damage you take when you're doing a saving throw. It'll be helpful for you to remember it because I might forget, but it's not something you have to use. Reliable Talent. 11th level, you've refined your chosen skills and they approach perfection. Whenever you make an ability check, that lets you add your proficiency bonus, you can treat a d20 roll of nine or lower as a 10. So basically that means any skill that you're proficient in, you can't get less than a 10 on, right? Again, not something that you have to do, just something that you 
you have to remember that Todd will never beef it really bad on an athletics role ever again if he's proficient in it. Okay. Um, Wait, what about crit ones? Like if I roll a one, is no, 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 yeah, no, yeah. I, I think we are. <laughs> I think we've agreed a crit one is always a fail, no matter what. Okay. Although I, you know, I I may argue that that that's Todd's get out of get out of the crit one in the universe. I, yeah, let me ponder that and see you know, how kind of benevolent I am for that. With, with the amazing content we generate every time Harlan fails. <laughs> I know. I know. Don't worry. He'll still fail. He'll still fail. Like then 14th level, you get blind sense, which means you're daredevil. You know how daredevil works. Mm-hmm. 15th level, you've acquired greater mental strength. You get proficiency in wisdom saving throws, which is just a different bonus that you add. And then 18th level, no attack rolls have advantage against you while you aren't incapacitated just because you're extra slippery. So, and then 20th level, you get the ability that if your attack misses a target within range, you can turn the miss into a hit. Or if you fail an ability check, you can treat a D20 roll as a D20 once uh, once per short rest. So those are the, the, the primary class things. So again, out of the primary class stuff, really it's sneak attack is the confusing piece and then just understanding what, what you're reaction and bonus actions can be used for the other piece. So the other thing that Todd has to be aware of is his subclass, which he is a swashbuckler, which at third level, you get the ability to pick that that subclass. Swashbuckler was a perfect fit for Todd. Absolutely. <laughs> so the, the swashbuckler, you focus your training on the art of the blade, relying on speed, elegance, and charm in equal parts. Well, the charm, I don't know if we would consider that an equal part. Man, right? While, while some warriors are brutes and clad in heavy armor, your method of fighting looks almost like a performance. Now, that I do agree with. <laughs> uh, duelists and pirates typically belong to this archetype. Uh, they excel in single combat and can fight with two weapons while safely darting away from an opponent. So the ability, the abilities you automatically got when you picked this up were fancy footwork and rakish audacity. Fancy footwork means if you learn how to strike and then slip away without reprisal. During your turn, if you make a melee against an opponent, that creature can't make opportunity attacks against you for the rest of your turn. So what that means is Todd runs up 20 feet, attacks a hobgoblin. You don't have to now use your bonus action to disengage if you want because of your fancy mm-hmm. footwork. You can go ahead and use your bonus action for your offhand attack and then just back away without f- fear of getting the attack of opportunity. So if I'm playing the game, I say I dash them 20 feet is my movement. I attack with my main hand, sneak attack or whatever with my main hand, then attack with my offhand. And then I say I'm using fancy footwork to back away or... I, it's more like you go, okay, and then I'm going to back away and I go, okay, well, you're getting an act opportunity and you go, fuck you, Turner, fancy footwork is basically the way that that okay, should go. Okay, so <laughs> I don't have to use yeah. it unless you actually yeah. try to attack me. Yeah. Right. So it, it's not something that you use. It is a passive effect that if you attack a creature, you don't have to disengage to move away from it without incurring the threat of an attack of opportunity. Where it gets more complicated, all right, is let's say there's two hobgoblins and you move up and those two hobgoblins are standing next to each other and Bob is fighting the one hobgoblin and you might move up. Let's say Bob is fighting Hobgoblin left. You move up to fight Hobgoblin right. You attack Hobgoblin right, and then you go to back away. Hobgoblin right, because of your fancy footwork, can't attack you. But Hobgoblin left could. 
because you haven't attacked him. So that's just something to keep in mind if you are attacking a group of enemies that doesn't necessarily provide you defense against enemies that you haven't attacked. It's very specifically enemies that you attack cannot make an attack of opportunity against you if you move away. A few small details here. One, that to quote, you know, one of my favorite movies, Todd's got two swords, one for the each of you. Yep. And it doesn't <laughs> say you actually have to hit. True. So in that situation, you could technically just attack at both of those people. And exactly. regardless of whether or not you hit, you can just walk the fuck away. What? So the rule is the creatures you attack that round can't make an attack of an opportunity against you, not the creatures that you hit. All right. So we are back up to the scenario with Hobgoblin left and Hobgoblin right. And we're going to take Baba out of this scenario. Mm -hmm. You walk up to Hobgoblin right, try and stab him and miss. You use your bonus action because they're right next to each other and they're within range to attack Hobgoblin left. Right. You don't have to use your two short swords on the same person. You can totally mm -hmm. go in and just, you know, stick your arms out in both directions. And but they, have to, they have to be I can't move anymore. They, so they have to be pretty close to each other. Yeah, I mean, they've yeah. got to be within five feet of each other. They were never going to get so positionally. I mean, that's just not the kind of D&D that we're playing. You know what I mean? Um, so if you go up and say, hey, man, am I in melee range of both of these guys? Can I move up and attack both of these guys? That's all you need to ask. And if I say yes, then you can move up and attack both of those guys. And as, as long as you attack both of them, you can walk away without fear of getting an attack of opportunity. Okay. Are you just not going to try to attack me back knowing? No, I think we've all established. I sure as fuck will not remember and will try to attack you, especially if it's in the moment and I'm frustrated with you from previously in the episode. So <laughs> it, okay. it behooves you to, to remember, no man, fancy footwork. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's, and, yeah it's kind of your job to kind of check Ramon. that from the DM. Yeah. Like, for, yeah. for instance, in our game, remember when Jamie was attacking the bear guest and he kept using his um, his class ability. I forgot what it's called. Mm -hmm. and, uh, planar Warrior. Planar Warrior. And then he kept saying the damage is half, the damage is half. And then later I looked it up and I was like, hey, it changes all of his damage into magical damage. It shouldn't be halved anymore. And so he had, yeah. to, he had to go back and add that extra damage. If Jamie, yeah. does, if Jamie doesn't say anything and I don't, then it takes Jamie twice as long to kill it. <laughs> and, and let's be clear, guys. I'm not trying to pull a fast one. Right, right, right. Yeah, like yeah. It's it, it just, as you've noticed, there's a lot of motherfucking rules in this thing. <laughs> yeah. And a year from now, I'll have them all memorized. But, and if you asked me, like, for some reason, fucking Thacko tables from, you know, the progression for fighters for Thacko <laughs> tables from second edition, I still remember that shit because I played that shit for like 12 years. The, but 5e, I'm still internalizing some of the stuff. So, and I, I played a little bit of three and a half, but no four. So that's, it, it's, it's kind of a mutual thing. If I remember it, I won't, I'll be like, I'll try and call out the fact that you're doing it mainly because if I say, okay, dude, your fancy foot working away, what's it look like? You know what I mean? Like, like okay. that's, that's the easy way to remember it. When you do that shit, if you make it ultra performative to be like, I'm fancy foot working away, like Todd does a little soft shoe back away or Todd does like high, he high knees it away from him. Like he's doing like a fucking, uh, running it into the end zone, <laughs> something like that. One, it's good listening, but two, that's also helped both of us remember as a mnemonic that uh, not only is Todd a dick, but he also gets an advantage from being that way. He's going to moonwalk away from somebody. I guarantee it. Oh, fuck. If he doesn't, I will be incredibly disappointed. Wouldn't I want you to make a uh, an attack against me so then you don't get to make that reaction against anyone else? By the rules, he literally can't. Like, it's it's not it's okay. not allowed. <laughs> 
you don't you don't want that right you're you're a rogue yeah you're tougher than you used to be in previous editions but you're also generally easier to hit than baba or even moyle like moyle's wearing heavier armor and shield you want me swinging at the dudes wearing metal yes you're wearing you're wearing bondage gear so <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's it's combat bondage gear, but let's be honest. Um, you're wearing pirate pants and a fucking frilly shirt. I mean, let's you know. Now you've got you've got uh, you've got leather armor, so it's a little even with your dexterity bonuses, it is a little bit easier to hit Baba. And I'm sorry, it's a little bit easier to hit you. And generally, as a rule of thumb, you have less hit points than mm-hmm. like a Baba or even even Eldrin as a as a fighter class. So. Was I the only one who pictured the uh, the puffy shirt from Seinfeld That's just why now? I said, I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was going for. And I think we found our next casting call. Oh if I'm, if I'm doing Seinfeld photoshops, I'm going to totally Photoshop Harlan into that shirt. <laughs> I got to go. I got to go back through some pictures. <laughs> So that's that's fancy footwork, which is a which is a huge deal, especially for the the Todd run in, stab, run out kind of situation. It makes it even easier for you to do that. So all that effort we put just explaining disengaging to into your bonus action, you can promptly forget as long as you stab the dude first or try to stab the dude first. It doesn't matter if you're successful. Okay. Cool. Got all it. Right. Rakish Audacity takes the already complicated <laughs> sneak attack. And adds a slightly simplifying and more complicating element to it. So starting at third level, your confidence propels you into battle. You can give yourself a bonus to your initiative equal to your charisma modifier, which you never remember to do. Wait, 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 wait. Explain it. No, he he added it on his sheet. It's on his sheet. Okay. Now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I told him to do that because I knew he would never remember. <laughs> <laughs> Todd's cockiness literally makes him faster in battle now. Mm-hmm. You also gain an additional way to use your sneak attack. You don't need advantage on the attack roll to use your sneak attack against a creature if you were within melee range and no other creatures are within melee range of you and you don't have disadvantage on the attack roll. So what that means is, we were talking about sneak attack earlier. Mm -hmm. One of the requirements for sneak attack was, or one of the things that would allow you to engage sneak attack was, hey, I'm fighting this dude, and I've got a friend here next to me fighting him. Or I've got not even a friend, just somebody else fighting this guy. Now... You can go as long as as it's kind of a mono a mono thing. If it's you facing off one on one against somebody, you can use your sneak attack. If there's two people there, no sneak attack unless you have a friend with you. Does that make yes. it? Going back to the bar fight scenario, you can square up against a guy and use a sneak attack. But if he has a friend show up, sneak attack is off the table unless, you know, Anthony rolls in now and is backing you up against the other guy, in which case sneak attack is back on the table. Make sense? Yes. Okay, coming up at ninth level, your charm becomes extraordinarily beguiling. And as an action, you can use your charisma uh, to do a contested wisdom check against a target. They must be able to hear you and the two of you must share a language. If you succeed on the check and the creature is hostile towards you, it has disadvantage on attack rolls against targets other than you and can't make opportunity attacks against targets other than you. This lasts for one minute, which is basically an entire combat in 5e or until you and the target are more than six feet apart. Uh, it's basically a taunt. You can now weaponize Todd's shit talk wait, wait, in combat. Explain, please explain, say that again, because I don't have that written down, so I need to... Basically, you can make an, a, a charisma check. You can say, hey, I want to make a, a persuasion check against this person, and you roll your persuasion ability. And so you roll a d20, add your persuasion modifier. They're then going to contest it with their wisdom. 
Like if you were arm wrestling somebody, you would roll a strength check, they would roll a strength check. This is now a battle of wills. Todd will talk some shit with persuasion. This person will try and shrug it off with a wisdom roll. They got to be able to hear you. You got to speak the same language. If you succeed on the check and the the creature is hostile towards you, it has disadvantage on attack rolls against anybody else because it's so pissed at you, all it can focus on is attacking you. So it basically would have attack rolls, a disadvantage on attack rolls against attacking anybody else, and it can't take opportunity attacks on anybody else other than you. If the creature isn't hostile towards you, they are charmed for one minute. While charmed, it regards you as a friendly acquaintance. This effect means immediately if you or your companion do anything harmful against it. So basically you gain... a very short-term charm person effect just by being Todd the motherfucking TV. Just just by talking a little trash. Well, no, and if they're not hostile towards you, like if they're hostile towards you, you're talking trash, they get pissed off, they get focused on attacking you and have disadvantage attacking anybody else and can't use their reaction to take attacks of opportunity against anybody else. If like you were trying to talk your way past a guard, you could use this ability to try and sweet talk them, you know, because even a persuasion check isn't like a charm person. Like you don't immediately win somebody over completely with a persuasion check. This is a this is like a super persuasion check basically that would have the same effect as a as a charm person. Yeah. Elegant maneuver, which would be 13th level. You can use a bonus action on your turn to gain advantage on the next acrobatics oh or athletics check <laughs> you make during the same turn. So again, Todd will get even better at doing stupid shit. <laughs> He'll be really, really good at ninja rolling. Yes, he will ninja roll like a motherfucker. And he only has to wait till level 13. <laughs> Listen. By, by then, he will have had so much practice. I practice. Exactly. They do not, it, the, the roll, the dice is not my friend. Like, I got a plus four in acrobatics and a plus three in athletics, and I fail those checks all the time. Why do you have a plus three in athletics? Because he, he took the double proficiency in athletics. God damn right I did. I was expecting to do this stuff, and it doesn't come <laughs> You do roll some complete shit athletics rolls. Like, man, look, I know it's aggravating, but there is no better thing for the podcast <laughs> than the fact that you seem to be cursed to roll shit athletics rolls. Just like, Miles, real good at failing saving throws, too. <laughs> and then Master Duelist, uh, beginning at 17th level, your mastery of the blade lets you turn failure into a success in combat. If you miss with an attack roll, you can roll it again with advantage. Once you do so, you can't use this feature again until you finish a long rest. So, oh, I was about to say, that sounds ridiculous. So you're saying if I miss with my attack, I then roll it again with advantage. So it's basically like three rolls? Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> now, once, once, per, once per short rest, which means you got to sit around now, and then keep in mind, at 20th level, you get the ability to automatically turn it to a hit. So you would have twice per short rest where you can either re-roll at advantage or just say, nah, I fucking hit it. I think what you've wanted Todd's signature move to be is the run-in, stab, run-out, which always makes me think of Napoleon Dynamite for some reason, and I'm not entirely fucking... I think that scene where, like, Kip runs in oh, and slaps him. Away. Like, that's what I... When you're ever always trying to do the Todd dash in, dash out, that's immediately what comes to mind, <laughs> is, uh, is you would say, okay, I'm going to use... And this is, you know, I mean, again, guys, part of the pentahedron abilities is, you know, when I was when I was kind of graphing out what the 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 arc of those abilities are going to develop to very much merged with kind of the characters classes, which is why Todd got his movement increased to 40 feet at as his first ability, 
which when you compare it to some of the other stuff, like, oh man, I only get to 10 more feet. That's significant Very. for what you want to do with your character. Yeah, you gave me 45. Yeah, that's, that was, that's kind of fucking, dumb. let's be clear. That's kind of fucking dumb. I mean, that is really for the, the play style that you want to do. You've got kind of that. And then look, these were mapped out before we even started the campaign. Like I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen. These are the abilities that I want to kind of build them off. They are very much a bastardized version of some stuff from a from a one of the other source books that I then kind of modded for our setting a little bit. So even before Todd became the run in kind of run out, that that was on there. The one thing I did, the only thing I've changed on the pentahedron abilities from pre-planning the campaign to now is Todd's spirit beast did become a unicorn. I don't even remember what I had originally for it, but I was like, why the fuck didn't I make this a unicorn right from the very beginning? Just because it's it's so appropriate on so many levels. Are there any rogue or general combat? Because we're coming up on the on the where we wanted to hit for the for the mark. Any general rogue combat or character questions that you wanna you wanna hit while we're here? Uh no, but well, I would like to get some criticism on what in on other encounters that we had that mm. I could have played differently because like we don't we haven't had too many encounters where we had that many people fighting like I could I couldn't yeah. like it's usually one or two people and um the fight that we had multiple people in. Um, the early one, I couldn't hit most of them. They were in the air, and that was foolish. But like, but besides that, <laughs> and also, I was about to say, I also didn't realize that I can use sneak attack with melee with range attacks. Also, that which is yeah, yes, okay. But I get it now. <laughs> so, yeah, the the one that comes to mind is I feel like on when we were fighting, and I don't think we're here in the actual. When you were fighting a care, a well, just when you were fighting a boss fight, let's just yes, say we were, okay, we were fighting boss a boss fight. fight, and you got initiative on me, which you're mostly you're all you're pretty much always going to get initiative on everyone just because you have a bigger bonus. And you went in, and I believe you stayed or you didn't get very far out, right? Like you didn't get behind anything, and and it was, um. He was obviously a spellcaster, like, and so even though I got to run up and stop him from like actively chasing you, I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily protect you um, from from spells, right? So in that particular fight, I would have liked to see you, you know, get behind. We, there were, we were, you know, there were countertops. There were things to hide behind. I'm still trying not to. <laughs> there were things to hide behind. There were things to get, you know, that you could have protected yourself. Uh, better and and I, let me tank in that situation. Exactly. That's also part of I think the problem. I don't. I didn't. I didn't know the role that you're supposed mm-hmm. to just like take that take those hits. Yeah. Like, and, without and, spoiling, it's yeah. But yeah, I didn't. I had no clue. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do as much damage as I possibly can yeah. right now. Yeah. And granted, I my character is going to grow into that role. Like six six level is really really hit my stride as far as like being able to tank. Like I actually get an ability where I can use my reaction to reduce damage on anyone. Like, and so I can do that every turn. So I also didn't realize how weak I was until someone actually starts hitting me. And then I was like, whoa, now please stop hitting me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, I have twice as many hit points on you and then you like almost twice as many hit points as you just regular. And I take half damage. 
I like yeah. I literally almost have three times as many hit points for <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen you get hit and I'm like, he's not where's his health day? He doesn't even seem worried. Barbarians are very goddamn hard to kill. Yeah. yeah so what you want so, like that, it's game over. Yeah, yeah. No. So what you want is you really want you want to make it where it's it's cumbersome to go after you. Like even if you are doing a lot of damage, make it difficult. Make them have to make a difficult choice. Like, do I want to disengage from Baba? Do I want to take this op- attack of opportunity from him? Like, because you got to remember, if I take an attack of opportunity and I actually hit them, um, then that can actually trigger my barbarian ability, which then gives them disadvantage on you. So even if they decide to chase you, <laughs> right? So yeah, you just want to make yourself an unattractive target. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that contributes particularly to the fight that that uh, Anthony's talking about is it was an enclosed space. You know what I mean? A lot of the times you've, you've done the dash in and dash out because you guys have been mostly fighting outside up to this point, but you know, there's a lot of changes coming. And so be conscious of the fact that, Hey, if you can't do the dash in dash out, um, now that you've actually bothered to get a ranged weapon, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you do that ranged attack first and let and let baba close in um but i dude i mean for the most part i think you know i i've been extremely happy with with how you i mean yeah that wolf fight where you ran out into the darkness and soloed that wolf and then kind of ran back is for what your what the abilities that you've got now as a swashbuckler the perfect strategy you know what i mean because you're able to go out there and sneak it get the move in get the sneak attack and then maybe step back a little bit especially with your with your extra movement just, you know, I, I guys, I know, and, and here's the other thing too, is I know we're not playing hardcore battle map D&D because that just gets particular, it's it's not good listing at the end of the day. And we are. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So <laughs> the, 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 the big thing to do, and I think the big thing that'll, that'll help you is just say, Hey man, I want to run up and stab this guy and then run back behind Baba. Can I do that? And I will, I will, yeah, I'll, I'll look at how, you know, I've got it laid out. I will try and kind of give you guys some references to that. I am going to have the battle maps on the screen just because it makes it a little bit easier to describe things from a visual cue. But if you go, hey, man, I want to run up and stab, you know, stab both of the hobgoblins, one in each hand. Can I do that? And then I'll be like, oh, yeah, that one hobgoblin's probably a little bit too far. So here's how you could make it work. So, you know, if it's not an immediate, yes, it'll be, okay, here's the sequence of events that you need to do to have that happen. Like, you know, that's, if you guys will kind of approach it from here's the badass thing I want to do based off that's in my head, based off the scenario you subscribed, is that doable? And then if it's just completely Looney Tunes, like I want to drop an anvil, I'll, you know, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll shut that piece of it particularly down. But, um, you know, in my opinion, the, the best episode we've done so far was probably from a character engagement standpoint and you guys all just interacting with the world and like really having some fun with it was the one that we just did. And that was the one that was least probably rule heavy just because of the random crazy ass scenario that was set up. But you guys really had some fun with it and really kind of engaged with it. And I think that's, that'll end up being really, really good listening. So that's just kind of keep that context in mind that, you know, you, you guys are superheroes. You're not cartoon characters. And if you kind of play it like that, and we'll we'll see what pans yeah, out. Yeah, and I think the, what you're benefiting from is the fact that a s- swashbuckler in the way it plays is exactly you. 
Like, oh, <laughs> Turner set you up yeah. knowing what you were what you were going to play, like regardless of what you picked, and he just gave you what would take advantage of the way you were going to play. So, so there are there aren't a lot of critiques because you're playing the class the way it's supposed to be played. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when it got time to pick a subclass, I sent you swashbuckler. And went, Look, there's other ones. But let's not even bother fucking looking at him. This is, this is the one. Todd is not a mastermind rogue. That's a real good class. But you know what, man? That ain't Todd. <laughs> no. Yeah. Or like and that's not a dog. I thought intelligence, but or or even look. the assassin wouldn't have really worked. Like I mean, it would have worked no. well, but like uh, it, just looking for those uh, opportunities to try and trigger assassinate, like it, it, it he wouldn't mm-hmm. have done that either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that just that 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 is hiding and attacking from hiding is uh yeah that gets uh, and you know the assassin too is one of those weird ones that can get really kind of crunchy and if you ever want to listen to some really just power gaming use of the assassin as a as a uh, subclass slash multi class um, there is an arc of Nadpod where they go to the Shadowfell and they have a guy a, a guest guy on who uh, is the guy who DMs uh, Dimension 20. He's got a gunslinger assassin multi-class. And that day, it's just like, oh, this is a min-maxed build. And we are seeing it in the light of day. And it just uses the, the, like the fist full of dice that that guy's rolling at any point. But that requires him, you know, popping up, taking it, like kind of old West gunfighting. And he, again, the dude's, the dude's awesome. As a, like, you know, hey, I'm going to dive behind this pew and, and roll my hide skill so I can get my assassinate shot. Um, comboed with this other mystical gunslinger shot from from um, which I think it was a subclass from Wildemount or one of the Matt Mercer classes, and, and it just it can. But again, that's that's not Todd. Todd is in your face, you know, mm-hmm. uh, doing doing the flips, falling out of trees, trying to jump over barrels, <laughs> drop drop kicking shit like, and, and you know that's uh, it's. It just fits it's, with it's the way he plays video games. What doing. It's the exact same way he plays video games. <laughs> no, I, you said I want to play a hunter from Destiny. I'm like, okay, well, let's check, 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 check. I, um, and and we, we, I know we need to wrap up, but that's that's exactly how we yeah. used to play doubles. Like I, <laughs> I shoot from a, I shoot from afar and make sure that when he goes in there two v one that he wins. Like <laughs> that's my job to make sure he wins two v ones because he's going regardless of whether he's going to win or not. <laughs> <laughs> and, you gotta uh, get in there. You gotta get in there. <laughs> cool, man. Well, then is there is there anything else you wanted to ask, Carlin, before we kind of nah. stick the pin in this one? Nah, that's good. Uh, uh, Anthony, Jazz, anything you guys want to add on the the Rogue Arlen Todd overview? I'm just sad because I think he actually understands some of this now and I'm just hoping he forgets it all before next session so I can continue making fun of him. Listen, listen. If I had to bet, there's at least a 70% chance I'm going to forget something. (laughs) (laughs) My my, my hope that you forget is twofold because one – Mostly just because I want to continue making fun of you about not remembering how to do this. But two, if you start pulling this off, then you're going to actually start challenging me for MVP, and I can't have that. I should have been challenging uh, the, you the whole top, but... Todd's... The, the, the ego of a successful Todd is an existential threat. <laughs> all of it's involved in this month. So I, I think we all know exactly how bad that can get. Uh, but... I, I still would love to see it. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's, uh, 
you know, it's been uh, it's been kind of a blast. And despite despite Harlan never wanting to publicly admit that he plays D&D and his amazing inability to not be able to log into a website that we have been coming to every <laughs> other week for like eight months almost now, it feels like it's still not doing a bad job overall, dude. I mean, I know we bust, yeah, I know we bust your balls a lot on on the podcast because it's funny to do so. But yeah, there, there, and yes, our entire first arc recap is how did Todd fuck us this episode? <laughs> you know, I think I think it's a good it's a good context. And maybe next, maybe cat arc two will be how did Moyle fuck us over? You know, you which, never know. Which, which um, I don't understand because it took me at least six weeks to realize that he was the one who was supposed to be healing us. I didn't, I didn't even know that he. I, I thought it was Jazz. I was. I'm like Jazz. Why are you healing yourself? Why are you not healing people? Uh, Yep. Nope. Well, yeah. Uh, that's that'll be our next, and that's a, a good a good kick out. That will be our next DM explaining. Is hopefully when Moyle is available, we'll circle the wagons and talk about how to cleric with Mo- Andrew, aka Moyle Mossberg, cleric of Rollishaws and reluctant, very reluctant healer. Yep. <laughs> talk about how many spells he has. Yeah, I I will tell you that's the other other really confusing thing. And thank God Harlan didn't pick cleric. Trying yeah. to explain. Spell memorization <laughs> for a cleric is the other uh, hardest rule to explain in fifth edition besides sneak attack. You know what I mean? Like it, it really is like, okay, so and there's how many spells you can cast, but then there's also how many spells you can prepare. And it's not like a wizard who you only know so many spells with a cleric. It's like, you got all these spells. You pick what you want, uh, but you got to prepare this many and it's based off of your level and your wisdom. Like it gets, it, it really gets confusing when you start talking about the, about the two. And the reason why I haven't just let him run buck wild with that and not really hold him to prepping spells is because, and no offense to our arcane spellcaster, clerics, because of that flexibility, if they prep their spells right, can just fuck a scenario. I mean, can really just be like, oh, we're going on a stealth mission. I will be dumping out plus 10 to stealth. All God, you know I mean? Like there's, they've got the ability to really just throw my plans through a loop if they can if they do a good job prepping for it whereas as fate certainly can do the same thing but it's a little bit more of a static threat you know what i mean like i know what fate's got in the quiver going into any given scenario as soon as andrew kind of gets down how to prep for his spells it's a little bit trickier too do you know what fate has in the quiver do you even know where fate's quiver is uh, I know Thunderwave. I mean, really, is that? I, mean, I know Thunder. I know Thunderwave is really Thunderwave. Only, only the only one I need to know, isn't it? Right. The most most valuable spell. Yes, sir. And shield. That's all. That's all I know is fate goes in there. Ah, oh, shield. <laughs> Damn straight. That's me and you, buddy. I, I know ninety percent of his spells are defensive, and it's like uh, okay, so it's invisibility, mirror image, um, not the face, and then Thunderwave, right? face on the face on the face all right guys well uh thank you for joining us everybody we're going to go ahead and wrap this up as always we appreciate you tuning in and we hope you've enjoyed not only listening to harland learn how to play his rogue but if you're a new player you maybe have picked up a few tips and tricks as as well keep an eye on us on social media at gmdl cast on facebook instagram and twitter but mostly twitter you can always reach out to us at dm 
Harper, Dungeon Master, at gmdlcast.com. Baba, or Anthony, you and Jazz are on, all, you, all three of you are on Twitter, right? Throw out your Twitter, Twitter, Twitter handles real quick. Oh, man. Why would you ask me that? Uh, um, at ETXJASAN, at ETXJASAN. At Anthony D. Robert. I believe. And mine is at DaddyMac512. So reach out. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you get a second, head over to whichever podcast platform provides you with your podcast entertainment. Click subscribe. Give us five stars. Leave that review. We desperately crave your approval. Otherwise, thanks, and we'll see you around. Peace. Take care. Jingle out. <laughs> <laughs>